Welcome to See Me After Class. This is a podcast by two New Zealand secondary school teachers based in the Southern Alps of New Zealand. We operate out of classrooms that look out over the most stunning mountain ranges in the bottom of the South Island. And it's my pleasure to introduce Renee Plunkett, who is a fourth year English teacher. And sitting here with me is Chris War, a teacher with 17 years under his belt from both overseas and here in New Zealand. And Renee, apart from being a teacher, is also an avid gardener. And Chris also enjoys triathlon. This podcast is about the day-to-day realities and joys and sometimes horrors of our teaching experience in the classroom. So we invite you to listen in and we invite you to give us feedback on what you hear. This is... See me after class. Well, hello everyone. It is week eight, episode 17 of See Me After Class. And what a week it has been, Chris. It's certainly been full of events. Obviously, we can't not speak about the visit from the Education Review Office. It would be difficult to miss their presence in our school this week, I think. Uh, Yeah, something I'm really proud of, actually, is that we're being reviewed and a lot of our colleagues have had the courage, and I would say that the word is courage, to directly speak to the review office about issues and um, observations and concerns they have about how the school's being run. And it's going to be actually interesting to see whether the review office manages to manifest anything from those mm. concerns like do they would do they just record them and take note or has it driven their inquiry in a particular direction and will we as the people on the front line ever see any outcome from those yes, from the expression yeah. of concern or are our concerns going to be considered as even valid Mm, mm. I feel like there was a lot of honesty this week and I definitely applaud um, our colleagues for that because you know it's uh, it can be it can be tough. Certainly can. I sit working in the UK for a while. I know that when their review office comes to visit Ofsted, schools largely put on this massive performance <laughs> of teaching oh. and learning. It's almost something that's highly rehearsed. There's um, and there's abject fear in the hearts of teachers and administrators, oh. and and it really isn't a truthful exercise at right. all. It's more mm. about how well you can provide what you believe they're looking for and that kind of performative sense a bit like Mm. what some students think testing is yes absolutely well I I really do hope that um that that the honesty and and integrity that that many um of our colleagues and and the staff have displayed this week um, comes through in in the report at the end of the day yeah I do too I think it's going to be quite important for people actually to see something come of the trouble they took to speak Mm. up Mm, yeah. Absolutely. But aside from that, it's it's been on top of this, I should say. It's been a very busy week. Um, in the middle of the year, we write reports home to parents about students' um, progress in our, our classrooms. and um, Which, which not... I always find annoying because we spend all <laughs> our time all these do. days communicating with parents. <laughs> there are websites and emails and, and then you go it's back endless. to that sort of traditional report report writing thing and it's like oh goodness me it's not like there's anything they don't already know said all this yeah exactly but Chris I have to tell you this I counted I did a word count of how many um how big my reports ended up being 10,235 words in total 
10,000 words of reports. Oh, that's not. Oh, that's <laughs> that's fine. You should be able to do that in your in Just your spare time, Renee. On don't, top don't, of my I, already I, quite busy week. <laughs> yeah, I see no reason as to why you should have time allocated during your working day for something as trivial as that. Do you? I know. No, <laughs> not at all. And, you know, that's not to, not to take into consideration the mountain of marking that I have to do in order to be able to write those reports in the first place. So, oh, I no, know. It's fun. And actually, it's, it's fun. quite sad that both of us ended up marking to a report deadline oh. rather than in order to get the work back to the kids, but never mind. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's the way of the world this oh, well. week, really. Yeah, and it's the middle of winter. We've just had yes. um, mid, the middle of winter in the sense of the shortest day. I, I, we were mm. out. Our cycling club were out cycling on the evening of the shortest day doing some time oh. trials, and it was sleet. <laughs> and those kids, like there was oh. about probably 18 or 20 of us doing our little time trials along Riverbank Road. And the sleet was coming through, and oh. they were so committed. They are so committed. I just love them. It was wonderful. I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that. You're going to hear from um, some of the Tri Club members a little bit later in this episode. Um, I'll keep that as a secret. But I just want to quickly um, add in something that happened to me this week. And I, I, I think it's because of the cold, but also because of my inability to set my alarm properly. I woke up one morning at 8.25 a.m. and my Which husband is said pretty to scary given you started 8.35. 8.30. <laughs> yeah. My husband said to me, I think you're meant to be at school right now. And I said, yeah, I am. So I leapt out of bed and I don't think I've ever gotten uh, ready so fast. And I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit late, which is very abnormal for me. Um, mm. But Maybe your I did. first time ever being It maybe. is my first time ever. I felt so yeah. embarrassed that I actually... I held my Fano class back a little bit and just apologised to them. But I managed to get to school within 15 minutes from where to go. So I thought that was actually not a bad effort. Yeah, now that you know you can do that, you'll start using my practice <laughs> of doing that every just day. roll out of my bed every morning like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once you've got um, that, that morning process down to that sort of a fine art, you can't go back. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I felt so, I have so anxious the whole time and oh, it was not, oh, yeah. it was not a process I want to repeat ever again. No, and it, it makes your whole day tilt sideways, doesn't it? Get, yeah. Having to rush in and then teach five <laughs> periods, it's not, not, it's not, not an fun. easy thing to get your head around. Cool. Absolutely um, not. What else happened this week? Oh, what else did happen this week? <laughs> it all kind of turns into a blur. I would, really I would say it's possible that you were also late um, in that way in report week just because of the demand mm. of all of that. Mm. You just sometimes, it's huge. Sometimes things start to get a bit wobbly around that mm. time. They do, definitely. Um, I'm, no. I'm home alone at the moment. Um, my partner Ivan's in Italy, and so <laughs> that's oh. leading to some quite interesting food choices <laughs> at night. <laughs> I, I got the funniest photo the other day. I have to tell people about this, Chris. Six okay. sausages for dinner. That six was sausages. It. Yep, Just that a was photo of six sausages. Yeah. <laughs> it was oh. very, it's very easy to cook, and it was very satisfying. <laughs> Oh, and that was on the eve of report night as well when the deadline was looming. So, um, you know, you do just reach for the easiest thing in the room. 
Yeah, that's right. I've actually got this big leg of um, venison in my freezer. That's right. I have, have you no done idea what to that? do with this. <laughs> I mean, people are awesome. It's from one of the parents from the Tri Club Kids. They're so generous. They keep just giving me things. And, and of course, a leg of venison. Well, the, the story's quite funny, too, because I was, I was, we were at the swim, our regular swim um, training, and the parent came up to me while I was swimming and said to me, oh, do you want some venison? And I thought, oh, I love venison. Yeah, that'd be great. And then, and they said, sure. And then that was it. That was the that was the sum total of the conversation. And then I went out to the car after the swim, and in my in my in my spare seat was a, like Half a quarter a deer. of a deer, like like just this <laughs> massive slab of like this leg. Like you could see that you could see. It was a leg, and, uh, and it's like I, when they said venison, I've got this n- idea of this nicely packaged up yes. little, um, little I don't know, venison steak or back strap or something. <laughs> now I've got like my freezer. It's all it, apart from those six sausages. It's all that's in my freezer, and and I have no idea what to do with it. Like it barely fitted in the freezer. It wasn't even wrapped up. Like it was just a slab of meat. <laughs> So like I, I put glad wrap around it and throw it in the freezer because I couldn't. And actually, when I got home, Ivan said he was he was actually shocked. I think he actually ran out of the room. I think he thought I'd brought some dead body. So, yeah, I've got to ask your help, Renee, about what to do with it. I don't know where to get it. I don't know how to get it from that to kind of something you eat. Well, I see. I feel like I'm a little bit of an expert in this. Yeah. Um, because my husband frequently brings home venison, and it is literally one of the only meats that we live off during the winter. Um, I would take it to the butcher. That would be what I would do with it. Um, and now we have to give you all your options, but we often get really beautiful venison sausages made, which I'm sure will appeal to you right now. Because we've had <laughs> yeah. sausages this week, um, yeah. but and they'll also be able to just debone it and deal with it that way and those sorts of things. So, um, all right, well, yeah. I'll take it to the butcher. I have I'll have to now defrost it, won't I? <laughs> yes, and yeah, I'm. I just I was thinking I was asking Will about that the other night. It should be fine. I think it will work, especially yeah. if you yeah take it to them and they do do something with it. So. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Oh, well, that's good to know. Thanks for that advice. Well, no worries. I think this week's uh, main topic is actually this uh, notion of um, deference and respect, which I've been mm. banging on about lately. So let's, uh, we invited our colleague Emily, who's a drama teacher, along to join us in the conversation. And that's what we'll have soon. And we've mm. also spoken to students about the same. So it'll be very yes, interesting to did. see what what we say versus what they say. And so thank yeah. you to you, Renee, for doing all those interviews <laughs> with students. Actually can't wait to hear what the My Tri Club people are, are going to have to say I about saw that. Them, I saw them gathered outside and I just couldn't quite resist because they were all in their very colourful gear, ready to go. And um, I thought, oh, no, I'll just grab them for a minute. And um, they were wonderful, actually. Very oh, articulate cool. young men. It, it was nice. But I did. Oh, I went out into the field and I spoke to quite a few students this week. Um, so you'll hear some netball going on in the background and some sort of the life of the school around us, which is quite cool, too. Oh, it's that lovely Friday afternoon, isn't it? Gosh, it is. I love it. It's, yep. like, it yeah. it's such a nice atmosphere on that. Oh, it's delightful. Brain. Yeah, it's great. All right. Well, yep. uh, you have a nice day in Queenstown. I will. I will. Yep. I'm going to go and spend some time with my husband, who's only home six months of the year. So it's, I'm going to make the most of it. Great. Then thanks for talking to me first. Say hi to him. <laughs> I will. See you All right. later, Chris. See you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
Well, I'm here with our regular student guest, Bronson, and he's going to answer the question about um, what he respects in a teacher. Yeah, so I really respect when the teacher is able to establish a relationship with a student that's really human, that's the way I'll describe it, where it's like you're interacting just like two humans, there isn't a superior, there isn't someone being a clown, it's just a really healthy relationship. I think that really makes for some good interactions and some good teaching. Someone who you can get along with, but they're firm and they know when to draw the line. That they listen to my ideas. What I respect in teachers is that they not only provide you with really good academic support, but also care about you as students and as people and I are there for you whenever you need someone. Um, I respect in teachers that they always turn up to class and support you and always push you to do your best. Chris, I'm standing here with a couple of your, uh, four of your young men from Tri Club. It's Friday afternoon. They've gathered outside our classrooms as they normally do, and I thought I might ask them what they, what it is that they respect in a teacher. So, guys, take it away. Uh, I respect in a teacher like a personal and a professional relationship, so you can like trust them and go to them when you need something you personally need, and you can have like the one-on-one learning, professional background. Yeah, agreeing with Jack, um, knowing that everyone does have a full day at school in like full weeks, so it's not always jam-packed full of stuff. Um, I respect the teacher always shows respect for all students in the same way, even if they don't really like them, like when they're being obnoxious and stuff, so yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I like in the teacher when they respect that you're not a child anymore and they respect that you like that. Give you freedom. Yeah. 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 Cool. They act like an adult. Yeah. Awesome. Do you guys know what you're doing for tri club this afternoon? Time trial. Uh, time trial. Yeah. Intense. Mm. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I respect them, teacher, when they are down to earth and you can talk to them like a normal person, and they don't think of themselves as something better, but they think they're on one level with you. So as you may have discovered, this week's main topic is the idea of deference versus respect. And this time Renee and I got together with our colleague Emily, who you may have heard from previous podcasts where she's shared her project on defining micro-credentials for the drama classroom. But this time we're involving her in our conversation about what these words, deference and respect, mean in our classrooms. So I thought I'd start it off by essentially uh, defining what I mean by those words so that we understand what we're saying to each other and then we'll explore how it might work in our various different classrooms. Does that sound all right to you too? Yeah, I love It's very respectful of you. Oh, I'm all about that. <laughs> I'm just deferring to your seniority yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> I think I am too. So I w- this actually came about as a conversation for me because I was listening to another podcast where members of the armed forces were talking about the modern military. And one of the points they made about how they operate in the military these days struck me as very applicable to education as well. And that is that they have started to reframe their whole social and organizational operation around an idea of respect that has moved on from the traditional early 20th century idea of deference. In society, in the earliest early 20th century, there was a strong adherence to those hierarchies 
in both institutions but also between people that said that a person by virtue of their wisdom or age or status or role was due an element of a degree of deference that led to their word being able to override the word of others. They could make determinations about other people and the expectation was that the subordinate person would show what they called respect by deferring to those things. Now respect as a word at present these military um, exponents were saying is more to do with a mutually negotiated territory where people's qualities and and capacities are acknowledged in any decision-making process and people with authority are those who have acquired that authority through developing a strong reputation or establishing their credibility through expertise and those things are, are mutable so they don't necessarily only reside in someone because of the role they have. So I thought that's the technical definition that I wanted to start on but I thought we could talk about how this might work in school. You know, we've got a debate going on in school at the moment around the year 13 and year 12 students who get to wear their own clothes about the boundaries that we need to assert around that. We have some teachers in this school who are saying, I don't think the students should have facial hair. And I have to disclose the fact that I have facial hair, as most mid-40s gay men seem to these days. But the, um, the point is that I'm being asked by the institution, based on a convention, not a rule, that to assert to the students in my classrooms that they must shave off their facial hair. And the rationale that I'm being given as to why I might have to say that to them is that it's because it's what's appropriate. Now, having facial hair, to try and reason with my students on the idea that they should shave their facial hair off in the classroom because that's the appropriate thing to do, doesn't compute. And I struggle, not just because it doesn't compute, but also because my entire relationship and influence with them is founded not upon my demanding of their deference to me, but more a relationship-based respect that says they consider my word to be of value and, and, and important to listen to because I have established with them that I am reasonable and experienced and I have some wisdom. And if I don't act in accord with those conclusions, then I believe I'll lose my influence over them. And I want that influence. I need to have that influence, I think, to be effective with them as a teacher. And I don't achieve it anymore. And I believe I'd be much less successful achieving it if I it tried to achieve it simply by imposing my desires and wishes upon them because I happen to have the power to do so or because there are forms of punishment which I can apply if they don't comply. So I'm stuck in this credibility bind. So what are your thoughts on this? Should we start with you, Emily? I have so many thoughts on this, but I think as I have gone throughout a teaching career of a similar amount of time as you, Chris, around 19 years, um, I, I have definitely grown with that. So currently, I never want a child walking into my room that thinks that I can do things or get them to do things that I would never ask of myself. But I work in a lovely environment where I have a lot of freedom because I'm working in the theatre arts and I am enabled because of that to have some freedom because 
people don't see necessarily that rules are the same for me if we're talking about rules or ways of being. But I'm interested actually, not only in the fact that you're enabled by the fact that people perceive your domain differently, but what does that freedom enable for you as a teacher or for your students? I guess <clears throat> where I'm currently at a lot is that there's a perception out there that a lot of the work I do might be in that realm of being a director, being a person who tells things. And there was a situation last year where unfortunately I was described as a taskmaster. Now my students know that's not how we work, but in a certain realm I was having to actually get people to do things in that more of the difference way where I'm asking you to do this and you're doing it because I am currently in the position of director and that's how it's going to be. And the way we work and process in my room, I would be horrified to think if my students ever felt that I was being the taskmaster. What, stop, what, what does that prevent? Why not be the taskmaster? Because that, that's not learning and that's not relationship. And if I'm going to find truth and teach solid truth of being, therefore being able to act well, we can't have that approach. There has to come a truth of relationships. If I'm teaching relationship on stage, I'm teaching relationship about life. And connected relationship in my guidance through that is never going to be, it has to be with X, Y, and Z. I'm fairly relaxed in my classroom, mm. but I'm kind of a fairly relaxed person in life in certain ways. But I know that I'm also highly organized behind the scenes. So I'm really always about our students and me being, we're on the same level. I, I'm someone there guiding them, working with them, encouraging them, processing stuff. But I'm not there to be this person that they expect to tell them because I'm the person in charge who's supposed to know the thing. Because our world's about not knowing the thing. There's no answer, there's no right way, there's no, it has to look like this because there's no other option. We're all about all the options. So what, what would you say to someone who was concerned that by taking the approach you do, you're not going to end up with these perfectly manicured repertory style performances of established works, which they might consider to be the ultimate outcome of the education that the kids are going through? I would just say, I think maybe you grew up in a time where that was, it looked like that and it was that and I appreciate your viewpoint on that, but I don't believe that's why I'm here, I'm here to teach. So there'll often be opportunities where the work is presented, it came up in a discussion on radio this morning where I talked about, it may seem quite strange to you that I have done this thing, but I'm only doing it because of the learners with me. I'm not here to answer your perceived conception of what this work should be mm. because you've seen it before and maybe you were a child once ago who did it. Because we're about education and I would never want to have a line of respect that, uh, sorry, of this difference behaviour where respect is misused so often. And I often have staff say to me weird things like, oh, you have res respect I don't even know what they mean when they're saying that to me because I think they see this idea of because I was in charge of something yeah well what do you think the respect that you seek to have from your students or give to your students looks like what is it what is it honesty and my own understanding and respect for them 
I like to say that any single child who works in my door has immediately got great respect from me because it's a scary thing to be raw and honest and work in the way that we do on a daily basis when they're a young teen and particularly uh, vulnerable in many ways about who they are. Isn't it dangerous to society to elevate young people to that level of status? Dangerous? How can it be dangerous? They might um, become unruly or um, become self-destructive. I believe currently, I wish we'd have a wee bit more unruliness going on. I'm dealing with students who are too afraid. I'm actually corrupting them. I say that in a really loose term, but I'm often encouraging them to be a lot more dangerous in their choices and be a lot more brave with what they offer. It's all sitting there, but there's this frame of, but oh, I might come across as bad, or oh, if I do that, that's going to be looked at in this way. In our world, it has to be, there is, no wrong thing that ever happens and I want you to be as free in your vulnerabilities as you can because otherwise what are we going to have robot actors are we going to have robot people with the best ad, the best thing they have is themselves mm. there is no other them and that often helps those who have always felt that they didn't have the confidence of others like no one's you no one has your rhythms your speech your body your mannerism you are the great starting point of anything before so, we go anywhere else. So what do you do when a student comes into your class and they're not dressed as you know the rules say they should be dressed? Usually I don't notice. And you don't to notice. Be fear, <laughs> to be fair, my way of working in the whole dress front is probably not following what my framed rules were as well. And I've reflected on that as an older person versus being a younger person. I remember the days when I tried to do that. Do. tried to dress in a context that was so-called the perceived uniform of teacher right. and and to be seemed as, I don't know, corporate, whatever, and it was killing me. And so as I got older, I felt confident, obviously, to ignore all such things and don't worry in the slightest now, which is really liberating because I try to show my children that if they want to be who they want to be, then who am I to stop them? Well, you're, I must admit, you're looking excellent, sporting your pink leopard skin coat right now. Exactly. It's a favourite. It's like a big warm dressing gown. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm thinking tomorrow, we've got um, the education review office in the school at the moment. So we're all slightly on edge. But I often try and, especially more recently, I've been trying to dress in up. slightly more diverse ways. And so I think I need to wear my leather trousers tomorrow. Even, even though they're here. But it's interesting how much jeopardy we feel, even just stepping outside of the lines that much. Well, I've just been in a meeting in my leopard. Yeah. So if you're in your leopard, I can be in my leather. So we've also got Renee here, who ha currently hasn't had a word, <laughs> had a chance to get a word in <laughs> interest. But um, we were talking about this earlier, and Renee, you've got some points of view on this that are unique to you as a younger, newer teacher. Yes, you? yes I do. And I, would, I, I, I guess the first thing to establish is that I uh, have significantly less time in the profession as my two very esteemed colleagues sitting next to me do. We won't talk age, um, that might cause embarrassment, but I can tell you that there's roughly um, maybe eight years at, at most that sits between me and my oldest students. So that will give you an idea of um, of the of my age and, and I've only been teaching for four years. So I think it's quite important as a young teacher to establish very clear boundaries between you and the students. There has been incidences uh, in the supermarket where um, I, some, a student has introduced me to their parents and they've said to me, oh, you look 
you look like you could be a year 13 yourself. So I am quite hyper aware of the fact that I am um, quite young in their eyes. So there is an element, I guess, I, I guess there is a, is a time and a place for difference with when I'm trying to establish my place as the teacher in front of the students. When I'm trying to establish that boundary that really does exist between me and them. And so yeah, I probably do notice more the hoodies that walk through the door or um, <laughs> the very slumped child in the chair with their feet up on the desk. And I will actually say to them, please can you put your hood in your bag? Please sit up in your chair. Please don't speak when this... Like, I would do those things possibly a little bit more than um, my colleagues who are sitting here. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're looking confused. <laughs> we are suddenly stopped understanding the language here. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to note, this is a good time to note this, I had a teacher in my classroom the other day who had been in to watch um, Chris teach a couple of weeks before I did, and he made the comment that I was a lot a lot firmer on the behaviour management practices in my classroom than Chris was and I actually, it wasn't until today when we had this conversation before the podcast that I um, stopped to think about why that might be and I think that it is because I really am still trying to draw the line between me and the students. So that, the interesting thing there I think is that as we're in this period of transition. I think that Emily and I, we are already are deferred to by students because we're older. Mm, and mm, so the sort, like I don't need to be as heavy handed with the behavior management because they're already quiet and focused. And that's something mm. that comes alongside my reputation as a teacher, mm. but also their perception of me as an older man. And so the, the, uh, there are things that we don't have to necessarily do, but that we would need to do if we, in order to achieve the kind of order and structure in the classroom in order to be effective. Possibly more naturally comes about given and it's different because it just happens anyway and yeah. then it, then it becomes the culture of the classroom and perhaps when we're giving latitude we're actually stepping down from a platform that they have already placed us on mm. in order to mm. create a little bit more evenness or shift the locus of control towards the students to enable them a little bit whereas with a younger teacher you might actually have to operate in the opposite way I'm just having a memory flash, Chris, of the first time you introduced me to this um, notion of the locus of control and shifting it towards the students and remembering how terrified I was about it. Mm. Possibly because of this whole idea that I, like I was trying to establish myself as the teacher, and this isn't, you know, this is a couple of years ago now. Mm. It's something I do willingly, very readily on, on a daily basis now, but sorry, memory flash moment. And of course, what we're saying, therefore, is if we want to do these kind of more sophisticated, modern things in the classroom, mm. give students choice, freedom, mm. latitude, mm. engage with them on a, on a level that doesn't involve them having to defer to everything we say. In fact, that where they might even take a critical view to the things we say, mm. then we also have to realise that we do it after having established our authority. Yes. But we're establishing it, I hope, through our good name. And teachers in previous times didn't necessarily have to have a good name to be they effective. They were just the teacher. And they would therefore be listened to and responded to and deferred to simply because they were the teacher. 
And those were times when drama wasn't a subject. Yeah, totally. When, when the kind of learning that's happening in your classroom mm. didn't exist in a school. No. Not, in, not Certainly not as part of the curriculum. And in those times where we're talking about the transmission of knowledge, and it was quite formal, and it was about, it was about efficient means of achieving that. So we're also talking about needing to achieve different outcomes, which if mm. we go back to our military uh, people, not wanting to kind of paraphrase everything they said, but they're also talking about the function of military is different and the way that wars operate are different. Mm. And soldiers now have to be able to make autonomous decisions. And so that does match the fact that the world is different and the things we're preparing young people for are have different. changed. Yeah. They're not now going to go into hierarchical working environments necessarily. They may need to function autonomously, be able to make independent decisions and, and, inter and take charge at times, whereas that may not at all have been the case in earlier stages of education. And I think that's a very valid point. I have um, some family that work in quite diverse context in quite world-wide um, context as well, and we've often talked about a big change that I don't believe we're necessarily touching on enough in education is that the new students will be going into these workplaces and saying, you don't even know yet why you need to employ me, but I'm here to tell you. Because mm -hmm. our, our, our change has happened so quickly with technology, whichever way we want to frame it, the change is so va vast and quick, and the divide is still sitting there with those people who are mm -hmm. functioning in business and functioning in work context and places that they don't even know what they don't know. And so I often tell my kids, the savvy kid will be the one that knows how to do that with really, really grounded, clear, respectful communication. Yeah. But often they do talk about the, these new generations mm. of the 20s and the 30s who will be leaving their workforces more often if they're coming up against what we frame maybe as this difference because there's no sense of purpose behind it. Yeah, because they will, they will want to question it. And they will want to question it. And I believe that to be questioned is the job of yeah. the student. We, we, your world is we different, question that. us and change it. And I believe we need to be doing more of it. And I feel saddened sometimes that you can tell students are not enabled enough in a, even a home context to have equal conversations around ideas concepts. Yeah. But of course what we're also dealing with, both with colleagues, parents, students themselves and the wider community is that sometimes their view is different mm. and they struggle I think at times to see the degree to which students are given power in the school and I know that for some of our colleagues it's extremely destabilizing that their security in what they do depends on that different relationship they have with the students and, and they consider it to be the height of offence should a student challenge them on something that they consider to be the domain of the teacher. So I think one of the things we also have to be cautious about is that we equip the students with the capacity to, I guess, code switch. There are environments when people are going to be responsive to you challenging them, and there are environments where you're going to have to learn to defer in order to thrive or succeed in that environment. Or, if necessary, like me wearing my leather trousers tomorrow with Ofsted present, perhaps to be subversive in ways that aren't self-destructive. Because of course sometimes what we're doing here, I think you and I, Emily, have to accept this, is that we're setting up these kids to 
end up in situations of conflict because they we set these expectations in them of what to, of what they can expect from us as members of an of an institution not everybody shares our view and no. they go out into that environment and they come into conflict Bueno. yeah like they go into your classroom <laughs> Renee. well you know <laughs> renee the oh. brick wall <laughs> no hoodies in here but i think that's healthy and i think that's encouraging yeah. them to learn because you're quite correct they do need to code switch and there's times when i need to code switch there's times when we all need to Everyone do that to because do it. it's not as cut and dry as mm. wouldn't it be great if and mm. and i need to be really careful of that i mean i came through with a drama teacher who worked the way I do, but in that time she was very, very um, progressive, let's just say, mm. for her time. Now my values and functions come a lot from that. Um, and she is a really close friend. Our ages have always been, she's the same age as my mother, yeah. but our friendship is on a scale of quality. And But that's I, what gets really underneath it, Emily. I would say, I would, I would go so far as to say that the drama club teacher at my secondary school may have saved my life by providing me with another way of looking at the world. And so, of course, I'm going to replicate that, aren't I? Like, I've, we've both got history that's, mm. or, or others might call it baggage, that leads to us mm. wishing to make sure we provide that same room for students to be who they are in our classrooms that I think other teachers who have thrived for other reasons really struggle with as being a valid way to work what would you say because you haven't had to battle against that sort of restrictiveness to the same mm. extent renee maybe that's why you're more possibly formal in the classroom. possibly it is why i'm more formal in the classroom because it's never been i've never i've never had to push back against something that's suppressing part of who i am mm. i think that definitely probably plays, plays a role something i'd have to think about further well as you know i like to internalize things quite a lot before i start to voice them but yeah. here we are <laughs> well i think one of the things that you sometimes have to push back on who's suppressing who you are is me well, <laughs> because i, I was to... just actually thinking that when emily said i'm just going to cut you off right there Chris. Yeah. um i was just thinking that when emily was talking about a friendship with a drama teacher that she's obviously knew previously i was thinking gosh look where i'm going to end up if i'm friends with chris that's right we are leading you <laughs> down, this is who I'm looking this is down who I'm a learning particular from. path which, <laughs> which we need to give you a few health warnings about <laughs> all right well that's great I think what we I think I'm just trying to think in my mind now what sort of question we might ask the students to match this so when yeah. we go and ask students the questions I'm thinking either something like what does respect Maybe. look like to you mean to you, mean to or, you. or or what do you respect in a teacher so that yeah, you can get an idea of what it is that they think are important about the way that we operate as teachers. Yeah, I'd be really interested in that because I have this small assumption and I've just been thinking about it that perhaps it is just an assumption. So one of my strategies, I guess, I don't even know if that's the word, this is actually the way I was probably brought up, is I believe that, again, there's no job that I won't do if I expect my student to do it. Mm. So I do, the joke is, I'm often on my broom. It's actually really quite um, cathartic when I'm really yeah. stressed. Yeah. And, and what I find really interesting is the office mode. The kids will always be like, Miss, can I do that for you? Or if I'm lifting something, Miss, can I? I'm like, no, fine. We're yeah. just getting ready for our class. Mm. I'm happy to sweep. Yeah. Your job here is to go off and get ready for your learning. But mm. I think it's that natural default into... Um, it would be expected that I shouldn't do that because yeah. my my I'm here as position of teacher. You're the teacher, <laughs> and and I'm always like cleaning things and fixing things up. Um, and 
and I don't believe it's their job to clean up my mess in any way. If I've, yeah. if I've made a mess in my classroom, that's my problem to have sorted out. Well, that we brings, work together. I that brings a whole new word into the uh, soup of words that we're, we're dealing with today, and that's just humility. Mm. And, if, and, I, I, and I would consider humility, like deliberate and conscious acts of humility with young people to be incredibly mm. powerful. I find when we do that, when we take a position of humility or we, we act to serve them in quite explicit ways, that that really does reframe Absolutely. the relationship we have with them mm. in ways that I find incredibly valuable. I think it also makes them um, contemplate everybody in the room as a human being. Mm. It become, it's a humane response to things that you, that you sort of call upon you ask for their empathy if you put yourself in a position of um, subordination to them. And I know a lot of teachers would not feel at all comfortable doing it or even comfortable that it's done because of their ideas mm. about deference. And so it's, 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 it's a movable idea at the moment. But yeah, let's listen to what the students have to say. Mm. I would say, we, we like to predict. I'm going, so. to, I'm going to start first. I'm going to cut Chris off again. Um, <laughs> I, I'm fascinated to see if there's differences in the responses from the different class, like the different teachers that they've come up against. So if they respect the fact that I tell them to put their hoodies away or not. So let's ask our own classes then, just yeah. to see if our classes r refer back to us the things that we consider to be yeah. important. Because that could be quite interesting. But I, I mean, my prediction is that the students are more conservative about this than we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. they'll be um, tending towards responses that suggest that the deference style behaviour or a system is the one that they consider to be the markers of respect. If, and, and, and let's see if they actually do see it that way. What, mm. do, you, what do you think you're going to hear? I, from I think I'm going to hear that a bit. I, I think it would take prompting and prodding to get the other side of it. Yeah, and, and let's not do that. Yeah, let's it, not do let that. It yeah. But I'd be quite interested in, in, in after that, having a way yeah. towards... Then it can lead into a conversation. Yeah, but then maybe I need to sort of have a lens of focus in, in practice for a wee while where I mm. um, make that burning attention inwardly for me to see how that changes what we do because I don't do that mm. I'm doing my business as I always do my business I don't um, you know that's the glory of being a bit more experienced because you just get to roll on into your classroom and off you go yeah um, no lesson not, plans for you collect, well, I, <laughs> I do plan sorry <laughs> here. I plan not it's all in my head but you know we do have that and but you know it's not quite so hard work anymore no. is it but I also I think on that subject sometimes though the things that make the kids uncomfortable are the things they need yes. so it isn't when this is one of my struggles about student voice is yeah. that they don't always know what's good for them yes. and so while we'll get these responses whatever we get that doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing the wrong thing mm. no. but but asking them is really important because mm. just like we were saying by asking we're asking them to contemplate something that's actually important for them to contemplate mm. and as you say it may very well be after you've asked them and they've had time to contemplate that their answers might change Yes. Exactly. Yeah. yes. It's also going to be, it's important to remember that the three of us are not the sole teachers of these students and, and their, their responses will be based off their um, wide ranging experience of teachers throughout the school which will be um, interesting to see as well. See if that colours it as in. And I'd like to say that I think that's great. Like I'd also just want to put on this thing of I don't have any belief system that says my way is the highway. I just think that it's important to remember that a diverse context is healthy mm. so that 
we do prepare them for the very wide things that they will discover out there in the big wide world of the way people are and respond in these fields and that's healthy mm. what i personally struggle with is when i am asked to change for the sake of another viewpoint that has no validity for me we're essentially saying we struggle like with to defer <laughs> okay I don't know if that got caught but Sorry. now now she's learning from me so much so she interrupts everything I say <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. but that's it they don't want to defer we don't want to defer to others so we're actually also it, it is personal for us it, yeah but, I, but I, I think it's personal but I also think it's it's a really important educational standpoint the one model does not fit all yeah. and our students shouldn't be necessarily told to expect that. This was an episode of See Me After Class with Renee and Chris. My Twitter handle is at edutronic underscore net. And mine is at Renee Plunkett too. See you next week. <laughs>